Matthew chapter 24. This is supplemental to Revelation. We're still teaching Revelation. But I think there's some answers here in this book that might help us, might support some of the questions that we have or give us answers to some questions we have and shed some light on our studies in Revelation. Past few weeks, we've been looking at the seals and the trumpets in Revelation. The seals were God's view of judgment and turmoil on this earth from the earthly perspective. The trumpets were God's judgment upon the earth from a heavenly perspective or a heavenly point of view. Both of them ended in a vision of final judgment. So we take them as kind of layered on top of one another. Earthly point of view, a heavenly point of view, talking about the same time span. And we will understand that a little more, I think, once we get through this chapter in Matthew. I'm going to kind of walk through the chapter. I'm not going to read. It's an extensive chapter. I'm not going to read read it first. We'll read it as we work through it. But to set the context, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 23 is one of those chapters where the Lord Jesus is preaching on the temple grounds and it's his powerful hellfire and condemnation message to the scribes and the Pharisees. Some people suggest that Christian preachers should be winsome, but do do remember that the Lord Jesus was very often, I'll use the polite word, forthright and honest in his preaching. He was very often willing and deliberately willing to openly confront sins. I saw a statement on Facebook not long ago. I thought it was a very good one. It's wonderful how you can see, even on Facebook, find some decent thoughts and theology. We need to stop sitting at the tables Jesus overturns. Very good counsel for Christians. In Matthew chapter 23, the Lord Jesus preaches against the scribes and the Pharisees and their self-righteousness. Seven times he deliberately calls them hypocrites. He calls them blind men, blind fools, blind guides. He accuses them of being proud, self-righteous, self-serving. He calls them false teachers, deceptive liars, serpents, vipers, murderers. Aren't you so glad he was winsome? very powerful message against the self-righteousness that the Pharisees portrayed, that the scribes and the priests portrayed. And it was so bad it was oppressive to the people of Israel. No one can be better than us. God called them out on it. And I can imagine with me, and we're allowed to use imagination, the disciples were there too. And they're listening to him and they're shouting, Amen, hallelujah, preach it, brother. disciples I imagine were excited 
And when Jesus finishes the message, he quickly brings them back down. Let's begin in chapter 24, verse 1. He's done preaching. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to the point, came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. They're excited. They follow him out of the temple. He leaves the temple grounds, and they're talking about, Lord, this is great. My office is going to be there. Peter can be over there. This is going to be wonderful. Isn't this a beautiful place? And the Lord stops, turns around, and looks at them. Verse 2, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. I could just see all of the air go out of their balloons. He's preaching at us now. Why is he taking away our joy, our gladness? Because there is more to come. The disciples were probably stunned and certainly confused. In verse 3, it assumes that they are later in the day or perhaps the next day, but very soon... As Jesus sat on Mount Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? They're really asking two questions. It looks like three, but one of them is tied closely together. They're asking two questions. When will these things be? When will the temple come down? What will be the sign of your coming and the close of this age? Or putting it another way, when will you establish your kingdom and rule as Messiah? That's what they were really asking. That's what was meant by the sign of your coming in the close of this close of the age. They were looking for a new age to begin. The reign of the Messiah on as king. Jesus told them that the temple would be destroyed, the temple was central to Israel. The first temple, Solomon's temple, had been destroyed by the kingdom, the nation of Babylon. The second temple was brought back by Zerubbabel or King Zerubbabel. And that over the centuries had fallen into decay. Herod, Herod the Great, when he came to the throne or was assigned to the throne in Israel... He was a vassal king, a vassal ruler under the authority of Rome. He initiated a restoration of that temple. Some call Herod's temple the third temple, but it was really a restoration of the second temple. It began at 20 B.C., 20 years before the birth of Christ, and it wasn't really completed until 63 A.D. It was being used... By the time Christ walked this earth, but they were still putting some polish and finishing touches on it. A lot of craft work, a lot of hand work needed to be done. This was the temple that Jesus told them would be destroyed. The question is, when? Remember, Israel was under Roman rule. They were not recognized as a state on their own. 
Reading from a commentary, Herod's temple lasted until A.D. 70. All at that time, after a long war between the Jewish zealots and the Roman authorities, the Jewish zealots were trying to overthrow the Roman rule. They were terrorists. They would ta attack Roman legions, Roman armies, or Roman squads like guerrilla warfare. And it got quite intense. Roman authorities sent four legions of troops led by General Titius. They besieged Jerusalem. They burned down the temple. As the temple burned, the gold and the silver ornamentation melted and seeped between the cracks and the stones in their zeal for a stipend. The Roman soldiers wanted that gold for themselves. The Roman soldiers took the temple apart stone by stone, fulfilling Jesus' prophecy. Not one stone will be left on another. Because of that, the Jewish people in fear scattered out of Jerusalem. We'll see some of that in this chapter as well. According to history, the Jewish people did not return en masse to Israel until after World War II. But Jesus said the temple would be destroyed, and from this point on in his message or in his lesson or in this chapter, Jesus jointly answers the first questions first question as his prophecy points to understanding the answer to the second question. You remember those two questions? When will these things take place? Or the, when will the temple come down? And when will be the sign of your coming and the end of this age? From this point on, Jesus jointly answers the first question as his prophecy points to understanding the answer to the second question. Now, we need to put on our spiritual hats, our spiritual understanding and discerning caps. You remember last week I talked about how the Lord used parables to teach only those who were spiritually minded because he only wanted the spiritually minded, those who were truly his, to understand his truth. It's not for those who do not believe. So we need to do that now, much like we do for Revelation as well. Jesus was intentionally tying his own death to the event of the temple's destruction because both events marked the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and an inauguration of the kingdom of the Messiah. You understand what the temple meant to Israel. It was the place of sacrifice. It was the place of worship. that it was temporary. You go back and read the book of Hebrews and you see that it was temporary. And Christ's sacrifice was permanent. Once Christ's sacrifice was established, that temple had to go. Could not remain. And while we have our spiritual hats on, our discernment turned on, we look at an example of Matthew 26 where Jesus is on trial. The next day he's being crucified, but he's before the Sanhedrin and he's being accused 
This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Which temple is he talking about? Himself or the building? Yes, but regarding himself, that's the one that will be raised in three days. He is our temple. He is our focus of worship. He is the one we should adore. He is the one we should exalt. So that's what this is about. Jesus lists, begins to list a few things to watch for. One sign that he is coming soon, or one sign that we see that shows he needs to return, is the presence of false prophets, false teachers. Verse 4, Jesus answered them, speaking to his disciples, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. For our age and time, the name of Christ and the promise of his return holds such hope and promise, many have already and many will seek to take advantage of his promise and his appearance. We've seen it again and again and again. How many times preachers have set a date? We can go back and trace at least a dozen times over the last 200 years. And there's another forecast for 2027. Jesus will come during that year. I hope he does. But we're not supposed to set dates. We're not supposed to predict what the Lord was not even given knowledge of. Jesus said, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. We can look at a more prominent verse, passage in 2 Timothy 3. Some of you are very familiar with it. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Do we see times of difficulty? Yeah. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of, they will be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and loving, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sin and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding their faith. So then, another sign that he is coming soon, or another sign that he needs to return soon, 
is in verse 6. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. He ascribes this or describes this as though there's a woman in labor. And those of you who have been involved in that, some of you have been in labor and some of you husbands and fathers have been side beside your wives when they were in labor and you, you know the doctors predict it they can set a schedule it's going to be should be about this time and this date but they cannot be sure my firstborn was born one hour and 19 minutes after the predicted date just after midnight. Supposed to have been here March 18th. She got here March 19th. Pretty close. But birth pains are supposed to be very uncomfortable. Sometimes they last for hours. Sometimes they last for a little more than a day. That's not very often. But he is describing this as something that is painful and anxious and turmoil. Describing the last days with these kinds of words, these kinds of words. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. False prophets, rumors of wars and rum- wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes. Another sign that he is coming soon. Persecution is increased. Verse 9. They will deliver up to you, deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Some of you may have seen it. You've all heard of Babylon B, that satire webpage. Anybody hear of it? It's hilarious. A couple of years ago, they were putting up these false news items on the internet, and CNN and ABC and NBC. No, that's not true. That's not true. People thought they were being serious, but there's just satire. I saw them produce a very brief video, a skit. These all these men, eleven of them, dressed up like the disciples, and Peter stands up. Brothers, I have a plan. Let's go to the tomb. This is right after his death on the cross, and he's in the tomb. Let's go to the tomb. Let's bribe the Roman guards to help us open up that tomb, and let's take his body. Then we'll tell tell everyone that he rose from the dead. And everybody, oh, I like that idea. Let's do that idea. I'm with you, brother. And then what? Then we all get murdered. Oh, yeah, I like that idea even better. Some of the reasons or defenses that the unbelievers give for Christ's resurrection is that they stole his body. 
but no one ever produced it, if that were true. And if no one ever produced it, and, and if it were a lie, if they did steal his body, every one of the disciples died for a lie. Doesn't make sense. If you remember Chuck Colson, one of Richard Nixon's advisors, who was involved with the Watergate scandal, said that when he was in prison, he realized the resurrection had to be true because he compared some of those powerful men in Washington. All they had to do to get away with that Watergate scandal, that Watergate break-in, was keep their mouths shut. But when they were threatened with a little bit of jail time, when they were threatened with prison, nearly every one of them sang. They confessed. And Chuck Colson looked at that as the most powerful men in Washington, men of influence, couldn't even keep a secret for a few months. And all of the disciples testified that the Lord had risen from the dead and died. If that had been a lie, and, and they all died for it, if that had been a lie, they probably would not have been willing to die for it. That's one of the very things that brought him around to saving faith. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Another sign that the Lord will be coming again soon, there will be a great falling away. Verse 10. And then many will fall away, or apostatize is the word, and betray one another. And hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. People more and more will begin to believe the lie. They want to believe something that's easy. They want to believe something that's soft. They don't want to look at the reality of true light that comes from the word of God. Another sign that the Lord Jesus is coming soon. Cold hearts, no compassion for the lost. Verse 12, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will grow cold. People will come, as we already read in First Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, people will become more selfish, more self-centered. James 4 tells us, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you, within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot, cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
So as we get closer and closer to the time of Christ, we see things falling deeper and deeper into decay. And people beginning to wander away from being faithful. It doesn't sound encouraging. But you know that the time is near because the Lord said these things will happen. False prophets, war between the nations, persecution, falling away, cold, compassionless hearts. And how should the faithful respond to all of this? What should be your, be your response? Verse 13, the one who endures. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Well, preacher, I thought this wasn't supposed to be a works kind of righteousness thing. It's not. It's endurance. It's believing God's word when every other sign around you cries at you, turn away. When every other temptation screams at you, do not believe him. It's a lie. Endure to the end. The one who endures to the end will be saved, and the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. We're not supposed to give up preaching the gospel. Even if we're persecuted for it, we're to proclaim the preaching of the gospel. Even while we are persecuting. New film out. I've not seen it yet. I would highly recommend it. Essential Church. If you can go see it, go see it. It's either the Regency or the Regal in Cary, North Carolina. Regal. Thank you. Verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Remember what was said about the destruction of the temple. When Jesus told us these things to his disciples, when Jesus told these things to his disciples, the destruction of the temple was future. It had not yet happened yet, but it was necessary. It needed to happen. This prophecy in verse 15 was for his disciples. For us, Scripture seems to say that Well, this is embarrassing. I scrawled a note in here to remind us of something, and I can't read the note. Well, I will just move on. I apologize. When Jesus told these things to his disciples, the destruction of the temple was future. This prophecy was, a fulfill, was for his disciples. When the Romans did come and besiege, laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, 
They eventually got through the walls and got up on the Temple Mount. Military flags and insignias of Roman armies were marked by the likeness of pagan gods. You've seen the standards that they carried in the battle, big long poles with flags, and up at the top was a god or a goddess, an idol, something the Romans worshipped. When they brought those up onto the Temple Mount as victory standards, victory flags, we claim this land, this mount for Rome, this was the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So that scripture was fulfilled. In verse 16 it said, Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as not has been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. There were great difficulties in Israel after Rome sacked Jerusalem. People were scattered. Their homes were devastated. There was not just, not just the temple was destroyed. There was destruction throughout the city. There had already been no national recognition for over 600 years ever since the victory that Babylon brought, the destruction by Babylon. And there will be, according to their time, increasing difficulties before the coming of Christ. Verse 22. I need to move quickly. I wish I had time. If those had not been cut short, if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Verse 25, see, I've told you beforehand. I've warned you beforehand. So you're not ignorant. Verse 26, if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. When Christ does return, and that's what he is talking about here. When he does return, he will not come unannounced. His coming will be in glorious power. Verse 27, For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I remember as a child being terrified of lightning. But now I just love to sit by the window and watch. And you can be miles away. You can see that bolt go all the way across the sky. This is how the Lord is describing. Everyone will see his return. And it will be glorious his coming will also be for terrible judgment verse 28 wherever the corpse is there the vultures will gather 
Immediately after tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. Sounds like revelation, doesn't it? Powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. I live about 300 yards away from, the old timers call it Big Ridge, but up on top of that ridge is the second highest point in Harnett County I looked on the map. And there's a water tower there. And the buzzards like to sit up there on the rail and watch for roadkill. And sometimes I can go out in my backyard and look down the road and you can see them hovering, watching. Is it going to move? And they'll go down and get it eventually. That's the kind of thing the Lord is talking about here. He's describing wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. He's going to come in great glory, but he's also coming for great gut judgment. For us, it will be a glorious thing. For the lost, it will be a terrible thing. For us, it will be a wonderful thing, a time of vindication, a time of release. For others, a time of dread and a time of mourning. These next few verses are it's kind of a tricky passage. Verse 32 From the fig tree, learn this lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all of these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things, all these things take place. People have struggled and argued and fought and debated and written about these, past, these verses for centuries. A lot of people said, from the fig tree, learn this lesson. Okay, the Lord is using another one of his illustrations, one of his parable lessons. Who is represented by the fig tree? As soon as his branch comes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. He's talking about springtime and the fig tree is growing, it's leaves are coming out it's going to bear fruit pretty soon that's a sign who is the fig tree and when is summer for that fig tree a lot of people for years have said oh in 1948 after world war ii israel gained their independence again their recognized nation there's the fulfillment of that verse I must wholeheartedly disagree. I'm not denying that the Lord isn't coming back soon. He could come back before I get home today. But that's not the proper interpretation of the sign. That fulfillment, that, what happened in 1948 was political Israel. There was nothing spiritual about it. Am I making any sense yet? This prophecy has nothing to do with Israel's independence. That was political Israel. 
Jesus was talking about spiritual Israel. If we had time today, I could take you to Romans chapter 9 or chapter 11. Very specifically, and it's supported by other scriptures, 1124, book of Romans says, If you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive and grafted, Contrary to nature, into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Paul is talking about the Gentiles being grafted into the faith of Abraham. While Israel had been removed, had been pruned back because of their unbelief. Here Paul is saying there is coming a day when there will be a spiritual revival, a new ingrafting or ingathering of Jewish believers in the Messiah. So we look, take that and apply that back to verses 32 through 34. When there is spiritual life in the people of Israel, the sons and daughters of Abraham. When you begin to see revival there, the Lord is saying, then you will know that that generation will not pass away until the Lord comes. So has that generation been born yet? I don't know. That's yet to be seen. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels, nor the Son, but the Father only. There's more here, but I'm out of time. If this, if you have any questions, please feel free to ask me afterwards. Um, I may get back to this next week. But I hope this helps some. I hope this helps you understand what to expect and what to hope for and what to pray for. Let me close with this passage from 1 Thessalonians 4. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring, him, bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord 1 Thessalonians 4.18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I know that I have talked about a lot of bad things that's going to happen, but those are just signs. Those are the birth pangs that have started. The Lord is coming soon. We can trust it. We can believe it. We can bank on it. Comfort one another with these words. Let us pray. 
Lord in heaven, thank you for your word and its truth, and we pray that you might help us trust and rest in your hope and your promise. Use us for your glory as we share your word together. In Christ's name, amen.